Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome to Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Today we're gonna to talk about executive functioning, but before we do, I want to invite you to a webinar series that I'm doing. This Friday, May 1st, 2021, we are going to be joining in a live webinar at nine o'clock Eastern to talk about the seven simple steps that I have to prepare you for your IEP meeting. We're all so stressed out before our meetings. There is so much to do, so much information. And you know, one of the reasons that I think we get so stressed out, there's lots of other reasons, but one of the reasons is because this is a big deal. If you're meeting for your annual meeting, that's what it is. It's annual. You are preparing your child's plan and program and that IEP document for the entire year, right? You have annual goals. We're talking about a whole year and that is very important and therefore it's intimidating. And so what I've developed is I've developed this seven step process and I'll give you a little hint. Step seven, is rest. Because if you rest the night before the meeting, you are going to be so much more effective and so much more um, pleasant during the meeting itself. And so I've got six steps to lead you up to the point that the night before the meeting, you are actually resting. How incredible would that be? So I really encourage you to join me on May 1st at nine o'clock Eastern for a free webinar that I'm calling seven simple steps to prepare you for your next IEP meeting. If you cannot come because you're on the West Coast and that's too early or because life happens and anything else has come up or you've got a work obligation or whatever it might be, go ahead and register on my website, Ashley Barlow Co. CO is in company.com. And um, after we finish the webinar, you will get a recording of the live webinar in your inbox on your email. Okay, so I am talking today to you about executive functioning. Now, what is executive functioning? Executive functioning kind of is this set of skills that kind of are all housed in the frontal lobe of the brain. And what we're talking about is um, organization and um, following multi-step directions and um, kind of like how we um, organize information and then what we do with it. And so what I have noticed over the course of my career as a special education attorney is that executive functioning is oftentimes kind of overlooked because it is something that might be thought of as secondary to a primary diagnosis. So we might say, um, oh, a child has ADHD. And then as a result of the ADHD, the child has executive functioning disorder. And so we need to treat the ADHD or we need to provide um, you know, skills or, or accommodations or specially designed instruction for the ADHD. 
And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I'm not an occupational therapist. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a pediatrician. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but in practicality, when I see it as an observer, as um, you know, obviously the attorney for the parents and somebody that's very interested, in helping children with disabilities, I oftentimes see that, you know, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg. What came first, the executive dysfunction or um, that primary diagnosis of ADHD or Down syndrome or some behavioral um, disorder? And so I always encourage schools to consider some kind of accommodations and specially designed instruction for executive planning disorder when I see symptoms of it. Um, and so what I wanna to talk to you today about is kind of the, the main kinds of executive functions. Because if you're seeing these deficits in your child's um, profile in your child's day-to-day -day life, then I think it might be um, wise to consider whether or not you want to evaluate your child for an executive planning disorder or even just ask the school if they're noticing it and if you can build some goals around it. So the first one that I see a lot is emotional control. And we um, kind of talk a lot when we're talking about emotional control about the ability to modulate feelings or the ability to kind of deal with the feelings that you're feeling. And a lot of times the reason why children are experiencing this is because their kind of mind and body are not connected. So um, my child, when he was four years old, um, I think maybe he was three, we went for, we used to go annually to our local children's hospital, which we're so blessed. We have Cincinnati Children's Hospital. It's about 10 minutes from my house. And we used to go to our developmental um pediatrics, you know, it's it's called DDBP, developmentally, I guess it's developmentally delayed in behavioral pediatrics. Um, hmm, I, I have lost the name of it, but we used to go to DDBP and our Thomas Center for Down Syndrome for an annual appointment. And at that appointment one day, they said, you know, kind of they were asking me about the mind-body connection. And I said, oh, Jack is really, really, really motor-driven. He excels at motor skills. But I wish that there was some program for him to teach him that his fingertips are connected to his heart center, that he's not just kind of flailing around in space with his arms and his legs going everywhere and his head just kind of like bobbling around, and that he can control with meaning his arms and his legs. And this is really crazy. They were starting a ballet um, program with the Cincinnati Ballet in conjunction with children's OTPT department and the fittings for the uniforms were the next day. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's great. And then that's a whole nother story. Jack was actually in the Nutcracker with the Cincinnati Ballet a few years ago. So the phenomenal thing happened. But that kind of mind-body connection oftentimes is the source of this inability to modulate our emotions. Because if we don't really feel our emotions, if we don't really feel like oh, my heart rate is increasing, I'm getting hot, I'm getting tunnel vision, then we might not know what anger feels like. Um, and therefore, we can't really rationalize an emotion, right? If we can't 
feel it because it's happening impulsively or because our body and our mind aren't talking together or for whatever reason, then we can't rationalize it. We can't say, I'm feeling this because of whatever. And so something that we oftentimes do with children that have this, you know, kind of emotional dysregulation and inability to modulate their emotions is we will teach what those emotions are. We will teach, you know, when I'm feeling X, Y, and Z symptoms, that means I'm starting to get angry or that means I'm starting to um, get sad or I'm feeling shy or whatever. So we actually have to teach what the emotions are and that way we can modulate the emotions and we can start to feel them coming in. If we just talk about them without teaching them, we get nowhere. And so if your child has done, you know, kind of talk therapies, um, and we haven't gotten to, you haven't gotten any progress, that might be why, because we actually have to teach what the emotions are first. The next one is inhibition. And um, if your child has an executive planning dysfunction and you know about it, then you most likely know that your child um, lacks inhibition, just full speed ahead, ready, set, go. I used to say that, you know you're a grown-up mom when you're no longer on the playground equipment, and I would long to sit on the bench like those other moms. And then I got Jack Barlow, and I thought, am I ever going to get off the darn playground equipment? Because Jack would run from one side of the playground to of the you know the actual play structure to the other with no regard for the holes that are at the fire pole and the and the spinny twirly thing. I never knew what to do on the spinny twirly thing, by the way. Um, and he would just run. And I mean, he absolutely fell out of the holes of playgrounds because sometimes I was on it and I should have been on the ground. Sometimes I was on the ground and I should have been up there. And sometimes I was simply at the wrong hole because I wasn't anticipating what he was doing. And so this impulsivity of like, oh, I see something, I want to go over there. And, um, oh, you're talking to me, but I just remembered I went to do this. Or I gotta, gotta have this. I gotta feel this. I gotta do this right now. That is very, very common in executive planning dysfunction. So what we do for that is, again, we kind of do some strategies to connect the mind and the body. Something that has worked very, very well for Jack with this kind of inhibition control is actually yoga. Yoga centers him. It um, helps him to kind of connect to the different muscles in his body, the different feelings in his body, um, and the, it brings this mind-body awareness in a really cool way. Um, and so I found something on Teachers Pay Teachers where um, the yoga poses are done with animals. And I did this right at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis because I was going to start to undertake most of his day-to-day -day teaching. And I thought I need some strategies to get him prepared back for learning. And so for a very long time during COVID, um, we would start up out every morning and we would talk about how we were feeling. And, and the um, lesson has this really nice thing that talks about, are you feeling shy? Are you feeling excited? Are you feeling sad? Or, you know, how, how are you feeling? And we go through the emotions and we would circle a few. I've got them laminated. And so we'd circle them with a dry erase marker. And then we would do a, a little bit of yoga. In this program, Jack is 10, um, and this one is definitely for elementary schoolers. Um, there's also lots of YouTube videos. They just go too fast for us. 
Um, so this particular program that I bought, um, we would learn three new poses or we would review three new poses and then it would put the poses together into a sequence. And we would do that three or four times um, and then we would get ready with our learning. Um, oh, you know what we would do afterwards is you flip the how are you feeling paper over and then you talk about how you're feeling after yoga. Are you feeling more centered? Are you feeling more grounded? Are you feeling um, more calm and prepared for learning? Um, and even if Jack didn't really feel it, at least every single day we were going through that and he was being taught how he should be feeling um, as a reason, you know, he should be feeling more grounded as a result of the yoga. And he was taught that it's important to stop and think, oh, how am I feeling right now? And that's something that we as adults without executive planning dysfunction should be, um, should be doing. Okay, working memory. If your child has um, trouble with working memory, you might want to look at executive functioning. So working memory is kind of that short-term memory where we hold things in this little holding tank so that we can access them quickly. So we're talking about visual memory, spatial memory, um, your auditory memory, those things. So um, obviously that can be assessed on um, standardized testing, like cognitive testing. Um, but sometimes you'll see that where, you know, they, there's something that has just happened and um, your child can't talk about it, or it seems like there's like a, a, a cog that's turning in there and you think, come on, get it out. We just did it. We just talked about it. And so if we've got that, um, that delay or um, any kind of um, issue with working memory, you might want to look at executive functioning. Now, it's important that I say that not every single one of these things is going to say, if you have working memory issues, then you have executive functioning, right? But if you start to see issues with working memory, then um, you might want to look at executive functioning disorders. Um, okay, initiation, our fourth um, thing that I think you should look at. What's initiation? Initiation is how you get started, how you initiate a task. And, you know, I think in this digital age, all of us can kind of get zoned out for a little while. You know, you actually scroll through Instagram a little bit too long and then you're like, I know I got to start dinner. I know I got to start dinner. I know I got to start dinner, but you're just kind of zoned out as a result of scrolling through Instagram or I'll just watch one more Netflix show if you're binging something or whatever. Um, but if your child doesn't get things started, you know, kind of like spins and never really gets things started, then you might be looking at an executive functioning disorder. And so, and sometimes this lack of ability to get things started, to initiate a task comes from an anxiety of, um, well, I don't want to start it because I don't want to do it wrong. 
Um, and so I always talk about my son Griffin, who is extremely anxious about new things. And so he wants to do, like if, if we're going to, you know, when he was little, we would start a new sport, like soccer. And he would say, oh, how many kids are gonna be on my team? And what am I gonna wear to practice? And is everybody else wearing black shorts and shin guards? And maybe we should just take my shin guards. Do you think anybody else would take their shin guards and not put the shin guards on? And um, what's the coach? Do you know what his name is? Do you know what color his hair is? How old is the coach? Does the coach have a kid on the team? Do you think that he'll know that some kids haven't played soccer before? And he would go on and on and on and on and on because he's got this perfectionism. Um, it was actually comical the first time he got stitches. Griffin is the most cautious, um, perfectionistic kind of a kid. But in my family, there's five grandsons and he has the most number of stitches because he's also very, very motor driven. Um, and so he has had lots of stitches. But the first time he got stitches, he asked, we were actually laughing even though we were concerned about him because he just asked questions the whole way over to Children's Hospital for his stitches. Um, compare that to me. If I am making a queen-sized quilt for uh, for the queen, I would just start cutting and sewing and be like, ready, set, go, <laughs> and just start sewing on my sewing machine. I don't plan very much. I don't, um, I don't sit and fret over things. I just go. Um, I always tease with my friends. I have friends with whom I sew socially sometimes. We sit around a table and sew like old ladies. Um, and I always say I'm a doer, I'm not a thinker. And so, you know, that kind of, but the, but the inhibition um, and the, the lack of ability to get things started, that initiation issue oftentimes comes from that anxiety or that perfectionism or whatever. Um, and so you might think I'm, a, I am definitely a perfectionist in other areas, but lots of times I just dive in and think, well, let's get it started and see how it goes. Um, okay, so the biggest thing that I ask about when I'm asking about executive functioning is planning. How does your child plan? So what can, you know, if, if you um, were to go on a big trip, you know, if you wanna drive out west with your family, you're gonna get on the internet and you're gonna maybe like, the way I would do it is I would get out a calendar and I would start looking at the places I wanna go and then I would look at drive time in between and then I would look at what, I want to do there. How long do I need to stay there? And I would, I always tell people I'm a walking executive plan because I would like get it all organized and I'd kind of do it in pencil on a calendar. And then I take that and I type it up into some kind of agenda and word. Um, and so I'd have all the different criteria set up about drive time and, and what I want to do and how long it I would anticipate those activities to take. And so then therefore that means that I'm gonna stay this number of days and that kind of thing. And if your child seems incapable of doing those kinds of tasks that are age appropriate for a child his or her age, then you want to start thinking about executive functioning disorder. And so, what we're thinking about is, can we organize things into something that is meaningful and will help us carry out a task? Um, oftentimes we 
um, fix this with something like a graphic organizer. So if a child is, um, for example, writing a, an essay, um, maybe it's a book review, then um, the teacher will say, okay, well, we're gonna write an introduction, but we're gonna come back to that because we have to know what we're gonna say before we write the introduction. Um, and so then we're gonna come up with um, maybe the beginning, middle, and end of the story, or maybe the three problems that happened in the story, or you know whatever we wanna talk about in this book review. And obviously that is gonna come from the writing prompt. And then within the three problems, we're gonna break that into three different paragraphs. And each paragraph is gonna have an introductory sentence, three supporting sentences and a conclusion. And then, um, you know, we take that back up to the um, introductory paragraph because now we've got some content and we um, look at the writing prompt and we see what the question is that we have to answer or, you know, whatever it is. And so there's an organizational structure that the child can kind of fill out in almost like an outline form or bullet point form or question and answer. And then that helps the child to get organized in order to write that response. In law school, this is something I oftentimes teach people when I'm consulting with them, but I'm not going to represent them. In law school, when you're writing a response to an open-ended question, you use an acronym IRAC, I-R-A-C, Issue, Rule, Application, Conclusion. So, you know, the question might be, is this person going to be um, held criminally liable? You know, is, did the person commit a crime? And so the issue is, you in in the response in your writing um, response you're going to write the issue is did the person commit this crime of murder or whatever um, and then the rule is whatever the law is so you state the actual law um, then you apply the facts to that rule so in this particular case the person did this but not that and you kind of go into the facts and then you come to a conclusion at the end and so yes or no the person committed the crime or did not commit the crime and then um, and then the prompt is finished and so we have this kind of graphic organizer of sorts that they give us in law school that says this is how we want for you to answer questions because it's very straightforward and it gets to the heart of the matter. And that's kind of a point that is um, really common in executive functioning discussions with schools is we all use mnemonic devices and organizational schedules and strategies to help keep us organized, to help keep us on task, to help keep us motivated and effective, basically, just generally effective. Um, and so to the extent that a child needs more support with that or even needs instruction in accessing those supports, idea protects the child. So if the child has executive functioning um, disorder or issues, then what we need is we need to put those supports in place and we might even need instruction about accessing the supports. I can't imagine if I didn't know, oh, that's the dog shaking. <laughs> I can't imagine if I didn't know that every morning I should check my calendar. I mean, imagine how willy-nilly that would feel if you didn't wake up every morning and check your calendar. 
but I worked for my dad. I, I now work with my dad, um, but I used to work for my dad and every morning I would call him at 8.30 and he would say, what's on the calendar today? And I, I mean, in, in some way that's so refreshing. I mean, he didn't go to sleep stressed out about the next day, most days of the year. But I mean, he didn't know if he was supposed to wear khaki pants or a suit. He didn't know if he was expected in court at nine o'clock in the morning. He would call and say, what's on the calendar today? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so lovely. <laughs> but it is also troublesome. Um, and so if somebody had said to him, you know, years ago, I, my dad is a hoot. Um, but if somebody had said to him, you know, every morning or every day before you leave work, you ought to look at the calendar for the next day and see what's on there and how you can prepare and that kind of thing. Um, then that would have been, that issue would have been resolved for him. And so that kind of planning piece of things becomes extremely important. Another piece of planning is prioritization. So what are we going to do first? What are we going to do second? How do we kind of schedule our time? And that is a huge thing that you'll oftentimes see. I, you know, when you are a middle schooler, um, your frontal lobe is developing at like rapid fire pace. I'm reading a couple of books about adolescence right now and puberty, and it is just crazy how quickly the brain develops, particularly the frontal lobe. And in one um, thing that I read, it explained how the size of the frontal lobe um, expands very, very, very quickly. But the chemicals that help to regulate the things in the frontal lobe don't fill it up as quickly. So children are experiencing this um, larger space with chemicals that aren't filling it up. And that is one of the reasons why we get this kind of executive um, dysfunction in adolescence when we are at puberty age and when we're teenagers. Um, and so, you know, kind of every teenager you'll see has no idea how to prioritize time. He has no idea how to study for exams, um, for example. So, um, you know, when my child came home um, at the end of first semester, um, you know, we're learning during a pandemic. Everything's different. I've said all throughout the school year, um, you know, you need to keep really good notes because it's a different year and you need to study for all of your exams and quizzes throughout the semester because it's a really weird year and really stay on top of it. So, you know, a couple of weeks before um, December final exams, I say, um, okay, so when are your exams? How are you gonna study? Is it still first and fourth period on the same day and then second and fifth period on the same day and, and whatever? And my son said, I don't know, I don't have any idea. And I thought, oh, this is middle school. Whereas in fourth grade, he would have come home two weeks prior to that with a color-coded post-it note system. Um, and so it's just something that happens temporarily when you are um, middle school aged, I hope. Um, so, you know, how do we prioritize our time? How do we structure our time so that we know what tasks are more important, what tasks um, need more time? that kind of a thing. Okay, another thing that we notice with executive dysfunction is the ability to kind of pivot and um, to just be cool about stuff, right? So this pivoting thing. Um, so, 
kids oftentimes will get very, very, very set on something and they cannot go away from that. Um, so when we get this kind of level of certainty that we need something that we can't stray from the norm, we might want to look at executive functioning because we, it, you know, it kind of goes to that like modulation and inability to tap into the mind body. Um, as an example, when I was a child, I did not like change at all. I mean, zero amount of change was tolerable to me. And so um, even when my husband and I started dating, we would say that we were going to go to, you know, I don't know, let's just say Applebee's for dinner. And then he would come home and say, well, I don't really want Applebee's. Do you want to go to, um, I don't know, BW3s? These are places that we now eat. When we were dating, we ate it like <laughs> in exciting places. Now we have to eat where the baseball team's eating, at BW3s or something. But anyway, um, he would say, do you want to eat at BW3s? And I sometimes, I honest to God, would cry if I thought we were going to dinner at one restaurant and he wanted to go to dinner at another restaurant because I was so change adverse. I couldn't just ride the wave. I couldn't go with the flow. He used to say, I don't know, we'll play it by ear. And I would say, I hate play it by ear. I'm not, I want a plan and I don't want it to change. And so of course life teaches you that, but that inability to kind of um, change plans is oftentimes another sign of executive dysfunction. Um, the second to last thing we'll talk about, these things start to get a little redundant, is self-monitoring. And so what we look at with self-monitoring is um, to look at how you're doing in the moment, to reflect on your behavior, on your executive functioning, on your modulation, on all of these kinds of things. And oftentimes you'll see that a child is so ramped up and so dysregulated and so out of sorts that they can't come back and look at themselves objectively. And if your child has that, um, then you want to look at executive functioning. Um, and so, you know, you've probably volunteered in classrooms where you see that a child will completely freak out at the end of a grade school Valentine's Day game. You know, like, it's not fair, and the girls told them the answer, and all of these things. And so then you come back and you say, yes, I know, I remember, but remember when you said this and, and your team got the wrong answer and they can't do it? It's because they're so stuck in this like headspace of anxiety and lack of regulation and no connection to um, their bodies, which are in the real world, that they can't come back and look at um, what actually is happening objectively and reasonably. Um, and when we have that, then we need to look at that executive dysfunction. And then the last thing is organization. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Here's the big kicker that everybody's like, oh, yes, organization. Could you please talk to me about my child's locker or backpack or whatever? And if your child has executive um, functioning disorder, then you absolutely know what I'm talking about. Papers everywhere. Um, you never have gotten a permission slip ever. You... Um, you know, you might have that that um, expandable folder that they make you buy 
the week before school, but nothing, social studies stuff isn't in the social studies bin and math stuff isn't in the math bin. And to the extent that math is, is together, it will go chapter one, chapter, sorry, the dog shook again, chapter one, chapter eight, chapter two, chapter 38. Um, and so there is no organizational system. And that completely makes sense. And it's kind of cool in the brain because if we aren't organized in our brain, then how would we organize things on paper? Um, and so, you know, I think a key, I end with organization because it's an easy one to explain the key. It's an easy one to explain why you should be talking about this at school. Um, so I have so many clients that say to me, um, and this happens a lot with high functioning autism because the children to the teachers look like they are able to tell their parents what their homework is and to actually do their homework. Um, they look like they are able to um, write a five paragraph essay. They, they have friends, they do sports, they talk about how they like, you know, are really into cupcake baking or whatever, but then they don't turn in assignments or they can't go on the field trip because their parents didn't sign the permission slip. They have, um, you know, they get a C on a test even though they won at the Jeopardy round that the teacher did as the review. And so it's confusing, right? But I always say to parents, let's just talk about the organizational piece. You know, did you even get the permission slip? No. Um, do, does your child, yes, okay, so the teachers are supposed to write the assignment in the planner so that you can see the planner. Does the planner actually make it home? No way, no. The six period teacher will hand it to the child and say, keep this in your hand on the bus. Well, I mean, how many places could that thing get lost between um, sixth, grade, sixth period and home? Um, and it's not just the bus seat, you know, it'll be in some completely random, ridiculous place. And so, you know, if we kind of give the school real life examples of how this looks in practicality, when you're hyper-focused on just one child, oftentimes that kind of empathetic piece of the argument is what the school needs. Um, and so I oftentimes say, take pictures of the inside of the locker, take pictures of what comes home in the backpack, take pictures of that kind of lack of, of organization, which is, hilarious in one way, um, extremely frustrating in another, and then downright sad when you look at the fact that the lack of ability to organize yourself is impacting your education so much. Um, so those are some things that I would look for if I was wondering if my child had an executive functioning disorder. Um, and of course, then once they're identified and the school acknowledges them, then we can get some accommodations in place. We can get those organizers and the yoga programming and all of those things incorporated into the IEP. And then we get, we can build goals that help us to stay on task and initiate and stay organized and turn in assignments and um, go with the flow even and, and goals for those things. And then we get specially designed instruction to help us to reach those goals. So we might um, 
get access to um, actual instruction from a teacher or a therapist or a social worker or the school counselor or somebody to help us to um, stay organized and to stay in the moment and to connect that mind body in order to get um, the success in where we are. So I hope that's helpful. Don't forget Friday's webinar, nine o'clock Eastern, May 1st, 2021. We're talking about seven simple steps to preparing for an IEP meeting. I'll see you next Tuesday, same, um, same time, same place.